0: Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, and the angel of the Lord driving them away. May the path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net from me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: I'm done. This is getting absurd. They're raising property taxes again. Why? Why? One look at our neighbor's house, and they'll see that value around here is going down real fast. I mean, do, do John and, and what's-her-face even know how to take care of our home? Maybe paint the exterior every once in a while, you know? They have a brand-new lawnmower just sitting in the garage. I would love a lawnmower. No, I have to have the kind that you have to hope and pray that it starts every time that you pull the cord. Everything around here is, is just breaking. I've asked the kids a dozen times to pick stuff up, but there's crumbs everywhere, there's soda cans, there's laundry on the floor, and it's not just in their rooms, okay? I saw a sock in the hallway. There is a, there's a T-shirt on the dining room table. I mean, are they even listening to us? Oh, and by the way, the fees for the ballet lessons, they're due. Let's have fun with that conversation, shall we? Sorry, sweet girl, your ballet dreams can't come true because mom and dad can't pay. This house that you wanted, it is breaking down by the minute and now it's too expensive for us to live in. Who hurt you? What? Who? Hurt you a lot of people, and I guess it's messing with me.
0: Well, today's the fourth Sunday in our series, Emotional Faith. And today, as Lisa said in the opening prayer, we're talking about anger many of you um, might remember our son Carlos if you came a little early you might have even seen him sitting in the front pews as our worship team was practicing he was the subject of my chicken nugget story on Christmas Eve um, so Carlos is three years old and three is usually the age where a child has a wide enough vocabulary that they can they can express their wants they can express their needs and they can express their emotions and so when when Carlos is angry he's got this thing right now he makes sure sure that everyone knows how he's feeling under no uncertain terms by saying the words out loud, I am mad. And you can imagine that it's really cute. (laughs) And we always smile and we want to laugh, but we don't laugh because if you laugh, it just makes him even more angry. And and, and I try to remind myself during these times that that I wish my three-year-old wasn't angry, right? Like nobody wants their kids to be mad. But I also know that as he learns how to express this real emotion inside of him... It's only going to get more complex as he grows. There's going to be a day where Carlos is a teenager, and teenagers typically don't just say, I am mad, but hormones and puberty usually contribute to the situation, and I am mad is followed with door slamming and fist pounding and and stomping and screaming to the point where you're a little bit embarrassed that if a window is open, the neighbors might have heard and wondered what was going on inside your house. And I'm not just talking about the screaming and door slamming and, and, and stomping that comes from the kids, but what about when the parents respond to the screaming and stomping and door slamming with more screaming and more stomping and more door slamming, responding to the anger with more anger? And I'm looking at all of the parents of teenagers right now in person, and nobody wants to make eye contact with me <laughs> because I get it. We're in the same place. Anger is a powerful And it's a complicated emotion. And yet, what we've been learning throughout this series, if you're here for the first time, is that every one of our emotions, happiness, anger, fear, we can trace every single one back to God. We learn something about God when we feel emotions Because God is an emotional being as well and experiences some of the same things we do. And happiness and grief and yes, even anger. If you go through the Bible, there are several examples, just countless examples of God's anger as well as the anger of many other people. Some who express it in healthy ways, some people who express it in very destructive ways. And that leads us to Psalm 35. Now, if you spend any time in the book of Psalms, you'll find there's 150 psalms. These are prayers. It's a hymn book and a prayer book that was used by God's people. And there are some specific psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. This is one of them. It is a psalm that is an ancient prayer. And it's a prayer that's written by a person who is crying out to God from a place of anger. And and not a place of of anger like three-year-old Carlos saying, I am mad. But more of a prayer that's specifically saying to God, take my enemies down. And it's the kind of anger that we all feel But we don't quite know what to do with, and that's why if if most of the scripture that you've heard over the course of your life is scripture you've heard in church, you may not have heard any of these psalms, because they're complicated, and they make us uncomfortable. But but I also hope that they help us too because they're psalms that are directed to God in such a way that is constructive, because they invite God into the moments of anger. And pregatory psalms like this psalm should make us feel more human, not shame, knowing that we are not alone in our anger and that our anger can serve A godly purpose. Of all of the emotions, when I think about anger, it may be the most effective calibration tool to show us whether our hearts are aligned with God's or they're aligned with something else. How we feel, what makes us angry, what we do when we're angry gives us a window straight into our hearts. And yet a calibration tool is only as useful as the scale that's used to evaluate, against, so that we know where we stand. And so our goal today is going to be to define what anger is from a biblical perspective. And I'm going to give you the definition at the very beginning. Anger is our natural response to injustice. Anger is our natural response to injustice, perceived or real. Here's what I mean. When someone pulls out in front of you in traffic and they proceed to drive 10 miles under the speed limit and you have places to go and people to see, it makes you mad, right? You get angry. And it's because this is an injustice. There's a speed limit, right? And I know it says limit, but we all know it means that's the minimum speed everybody should be going, right? Like maybe five miles over, but certainly. Certainly not 10 miles under. We do this in lots of places. But you know, and I'm sharing a funny example. We all have that example in our own lives, right? I share this because the first thing we need to do in a moment when we're angry, if anger is our natural response to injustice, perceived or real, is, is you got to stop and ask yourself a question. And the question is this. Is my anger rooted in a perceived or a real injustice. Most of the time, if somebody pulls out in front of you and they're driving a little slow, is that a real injustice? Is the root of all evil in the world all all on the shoulders of people that drive 10 miles under the speed limit? Some of you are late to church, and you're like, yes it is. Most of us realize that's not the case. When my 3 year old gets angry, Carlos, he's only three, and so oftentimes, he is angry Because he doesn't realize that the situation he's angry about is not an injustice at all. He thinks it's an injustice. He perceives it to be an injustice. But it's not. For example, again, chicken nugget story, here's a pizza story. Carlos loves pizza because his father loves pizza, okay? He's acquired his, his taste of pizza. And Carlos loves to eat as many slices of pizza as he can possibly get. And so, just like me. And so, what happens is, of course, after a couple slices of pizza, my wife, Alyssa, tells Carlos and Daddy, you don't get to have enough or any more pizza, and Carlos will look at us, I'm not kidding, and he will say, I am mad. He will say, I am mad, and then I look at Alyssa, and I say, I'm mad too. No, I'm just kidding. Now, Carlos, is, is, is he really mad in that moment? Three-year-old Carlos, is he really mad in that moment? Yes, <laughs> he is really mad in that moment, but is that an injustice? no. See, the limits are actually for his good. This is not an injustice to anyone. He just can't see that this is for his good. He just can't see it all. And heck, I'm, I'm 12 times older than Carlos, and sometimes I can't see the same truth either. There's a, a story that I read that, that kind of drives this point home. It was in the devotional I was reading this week. It's retold by Pete Scazzaro. It's an ancient Chinese parable. And it's about a a village where there was a boy and a father, and they lived together. And they just had each other, and they had this one horse. And the horse ran away. And everybody in the village came to them, and they they lamented over this great loss. And the father was very wise, and so he said to them, How do you know that this isn't a blessing? And a couple of weeks went by, and, and lo and behold, the horse came back. And the horse didn't come back by itself, but the horse brought with it this magnificent stallion. And everybody was amazed at this incredible fortune. But the father who was wise said to the people who are celebrating, how do you know that this isn't a disaster? Well, the young boy loved riding this magnificent horse and was able to tame it, but it was a wild stallion. And so from time to time, it would buck and it threw him off. And there was one moment where it threw off the boy and the boy literally broke his hip. And so the people of the village came around and they they lamented over the terrible luck of the boy and his father. And once again, the wise father said, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? And a year went by and... Their area of China was invaded and every able-bodied boy, every man was armed and sent into battle and it was such a bloody battle that nine out of ten of the men who went died and it was only because the son was lame that he was able to survive and he was able to take care of his father and they could take care of each other until he was old. That's a parable, right? Right? But the point, of course, is is that we don't always know how the events of our lives are connected. And how often do we get angry in the midst of it when we have a woefully limited perspective of what is actually going on? And is that not a parable for our life today? Is that not what so many people are doing right now, right? right. Everything seems to just trigger this, this emotionally angry response. Everything is an injustice. And this is why Jesus' brother James calls us to a very practical standard when it comes to are angry, anger. Uh, James 1.19, he says, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become, say it with me, angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, notice something, and I'll say this over and over again. Anger itself is not the sin. Anger itself is not the sin. Anger that can be traced back to its unaltered source, which is God, is a good thing. It's a natural thing. It's actually not natural to not get angry, right? If somebody you love has been a victim of injustice, if you have been on the receiving end of an injustice, the natural response is to get angry. Anger that destroys is the kind of anger that we can trace back to something that we're responding to and we think it's an injustice when in reality we don't realize that we just have a very limited perspective. And so I look at that verse and I look at the word slow and when you look at even, there's, there's another place where, where it's used in the, in the Gospels. It could be translated as kind of this idea of uncertainty and even foolishness as if to say that when we're angry, our first response should be to approach the anger with great humility and question. To ask ourselves, what is this? Where is this really coming from? And, And to be mindful of Isaiah 55, right? Where the Lord declares, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We don't know what God's doing. And so we need to be careful with our anger. Do not sin in your anger. When you are angry, do not sin, Scripture says. But all of that said, if I end the sermon right here, you might walk away and wonder, well, okay, I can't see my whole life. I can't see the whole whole world. I can't see the way in which the Lord is working in all sorts of different ways. Can I ever be certain that there is a situation that I am experiencing or someone I love is experiencing where it really is an injustice? Is there ever a time for righteous anger? And, and the truth to that is that is that there is. Like if you saw a young child being abducted by a stranger... If you watch a drunk driver risking the lives of others on the road, if there's a disgruntled customer in the the booth next to you in a restaurant and they're reaming out the poor young waitress, you don't need a Bible verse, you don't need a sermon, you don't even need more than a split second to know what you already know, and that's that this is wrong. There are things that are wrong. And so the next question is this then, Then what if my anger is rooted in real injustice? What if I have determined that this is something that is truly an injustice? And that's where we find Psalm 35. Psalm 35 is a is psalm of King David. We don't know the specific circumstances, and I think that might be helpful because it might help us apply it to our own circumstances. We know a couple of things. We know that David is being pursued by enemies, and we know that in this situation, he is trying to get out of something where he has done absolutely nothing wrong, he is a victim. And, and to understand a little bit of what that looks like for him in this situation, look at the verses just after our reading. Verse 11, he writes, Ruthless witnesses come forward. They question me on things I know nothing about. So he's caught up in a judicial process that's corrupt. Verse 12, he says, They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth. When they were sick, I humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, when they didn't get better, I went about mourning as though I was mourning for my friend or my brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled... When I tripped, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked me. They gnashed their teeth at me. And so here's the situation we find ourselves in. David has been very good to the people that are now threatening his life. I would even describe this as, as, a, as a group of people that David has loved, that he's poured himself out for. When they were sick, what did he do, right? right. He, he prayed for them. He humbled it. This this image of sackcloth and fasting is humility, right? He humbled himself in order to help them. And then when things didn't improve, he says that the way he empathized with them was as if it was his own brother or friend or mom. He says that I was so mourning for what they were going through that I was mourning as if it was my own mother who was sick. And then he stumbles. These are the people he's poured himself out for. He's stumbles and they laugh and they kick him while he's down and they talk about him behind his back and they ruthlessly pursue him and I'm and I'm reading all of this and I'm thinking to myself I can relate to this because isn't it true that the very people that we have poured our own love into that we have sacrificed for that we have humbled ourselves in the midst of Aren't those the very same people who have the greatest potential to hurt us? Aren't those the very same people who have the greatest potential to cause us to be angry? That have the greatest capacity to do harm in our lives? It could be family. It could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be someone who was a friend and they've turned on you. That's what we have here. That's what's going on in Psalm 35. It's 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 an utter injustice. David is the victim, and I don't have to tell you that his response is correct and natural and not sinful. He is angry. And so, so what, is, what does Psalm 35 teach us about our own situations like this when we find ourselves victim just like him? Well, when your anger is rooted in real injustice, what we learn is don't be angry alone. God is actually angry with you. God is angry with you. See, the reason that psalms like this exist in the Bible, and they're uncomfortable to read, but the reason they exist is because at the root of every single one is a person that's just like you. A person that's just like me, and they're facing a real injustice, and yet they are trusting that God cares even more than they do. And and this is the prayer that I pray with every parent when they call me, especially parents who call me when their kids are old enough to be out on their own and, and they're victims of an injustice that a parent cannot rescue them from. We pray, and I may have prayed this with you, we pray knowing that God loves your child even more than you do. We pray knowing that God cares more about the injustices of those you love and their being victims than you do. At the root of every single one of these prayers, Psalm 35 shows us that David trusts that God cares even more than he cares himself and has the power in these circumstances to do something about the injustice. And, and we know this on a human level. When you have been hurt and harmed, your desire, right, is to turn to someone you love and someone who loves you and vent to them, isn't it? You turn to someone who you know cares about you and you tell them, and I know know that can cross an unhealthy line, but there's something actually really good about having those kinds of relationships, being able to share your frustration with a spouse or a trusted friend who doesn't just care enough to listen to you, but because they love you, when they hear your anger, they get mad too. They're willing to actually sit with you in the midst of it, right? They might even be willing to walk with you on that journey, sit beside you as you have to say and do difficult things. I mean, at a human level, we know this. When we're mad, when we've been the victim of an injustice, we turn to someone else. Well, for people of faith, we know that not only are we not alone, hopefully God puts other people in our lives, but we know most of all that God wants to be that person. That God wants to be that person for us, that he wants to be there. And God has at his disposal more power, more insight, more patience than than any of us might have or any friend of ours might have so that he can right even the most gravest of injustices that we will ever face. And that's why David cries out to God. God. And it says this in psalm thirty five one again this is what we read at the beginning. He cries out, "Contend, Lord, with those who contend with me, fight against those who fight against me, take up shield and armor, arise and come to my aid, brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. He is praying, and he is not just praying. Will the Lord give me peace? He is not just praying, Will will God build a hedge of protection around me? This prayer is not that prayer. This prayer is God. They've done me wrong. Take them down. That's what this is. Take them down. And then it trans. And in case you're like you're laughing at me because you're like that's not what it really says. Let's look at the picture that he then paints in his prayer. Look at this. Verse five. He says, "May my enemies be like the chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel." Of the Lord pursuing them. This is a picture of a God who cares so much about his children that he is literally driving out evil on their behalf. I think about, like, you know, the classic playground argument, right? Little kids get together on the playground, they say, My dad can beat up your dad. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's something inside of you that desires to have someone who's bigger, who's stronger, who can chase down your enemies. David knows that for him, that's God. For him, that is the Father in heaven. And what is the outcome that David wants as a result of all this? He prays that his enemies would fall into the same trap that they've set for him. Verse 7, he says, Since they hid their net from me without cause, and without cause they dug a pit for me, these are traps, may ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net that they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit To their ruin. And I know we read that, and some of us are like, Can I really pray that way? (laughs) Is that okay? Like, doesn't it sound like David is asking God to repay evil for evil? Didn't Jesus say to turn the other cheek like, like this? Like, what's what's going on here? Here's it might sound like that, but here's what he's really asking God to do. He is asking God to make a wrong situation right. David has not yet fallen into the trap. He is not praying from the depths of the pit. And so what he's doing is he's asking God to make everything fair because God is a fair God. He is asking God to bring justice to the injustice. And in this situation, what that means is these people are doing evil things. And instead of those evil things hurting someone who doesn't deserve it, they should be the ones to pay the consequences of their own actions. That's what David is asking for. He's asking for justice. And it's not so that he can then go to the pit and kick them while they're down. He wants this so that he can praise God for being the one that saved him. Look at verse 9. He says, if this happens, right, this is what I'm asking God to do. My soul will rejoice in the Lord and will delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. Friends, this is how we pray our anger. This is how we pray our anger. We're slow to be, when we get angry, we're, we're slow in our anger. Not that the anger is the problem, but that we need to proceed with caution. We need to ask questions. We need to, to, to wonder whether or not this is truly an injustice. But when it is, when we get angry over real injustices that have been done to us and done to those we love, we don't hold back thinking that God does not want to hear those things. We let it out. We let it out. We pray to God from the depths of the emotions of our hearts knowing that God is with you. But That leads me to one last question that you might be wondering as you read this and that is, I mean, this is the hardest question. What, what happens when you're the one that made the mistake? What happens when you're the enemy? What happens when You're the one who hurt someone else, and they are now angry at you. Or or what happens when you have hurt yourself, or you've hurt someone else, and the truth is that you're angry at you more than anyone else could ever be. Where does this fit in there? Because the truth is, for every one of these prayers that we can pray, and all the injustices in the world, there's... Another example of a time when you and I have been guilty of being the person on the other side, right? I mean, King David, who wrote this, that was certainly true. And you can look in the scriptures and find out about it. Like, like his, his, his cardinal sin that everybody knows about. He, he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. And they found out that they were going to have a baby together. And so he had her husband, who was a faithful soldier in his own army, killed on the front lines. There was so much blood that was shed under King David's reign. And he was a man who was after God's own heart, according to God's own words. And yet there was so much blood shed at his hand that as a consequence of his own sin, God said he would not be able to build the beautiful temple in Jerusalem for the Lord. Lord, that he had desired to build because there are consequences to our mistakes. However, God also said this to David through the prophet. In 1 Chronicles 17 11, he said, When your days are over, and when you go to be with your ancestors, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom he is the one who will build this house for me and I will establish his throne forever I will be his father he will be my son I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor I will set this son of yours over my house and over my kingdom forever and his throne will be established forever and it's a beautiful story Because if you don't know that the son of David that would come after David is, is Solomon, and Solomon is the product of this relationship between David and Bathsheba, which reminds us that God can bring beautiful things even out of incredible brokenness. Solomon in Hebrew sounds like the word for peace. And yet if you read through Solomon's story, you'll find that that he followed in his father's footsteps too, he wouldn't be the one to bring peace. And we now know that that's because the son of David that the Lord was really referring to at that time is a son that would come down the line of David. Generations later, it wouldn't be Solomon. His name would be Jesus or Yeshua. Which literally means God saves. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross when he bore the injustices that have ever been committed to you and to anyone else upon himself, he bore them all on his own shoulders, Also, that someday when he returns, injustice itself will be thrown as far as the east is from the west, and we will never, ever, ever have any reason to be angry ever again. And that is a promise. And that is a gift. And it is freely given to all who believe and call upon his name. God is not angry with you, he loves you, he has forgiven you, he has extended his grace and forgiveness to you, and because he has lifted the internal consequences of our injustices and the injustices that have been done to us, we no longer carry that guilt upon ourselves, and it is really important that you don't carry that guilt upon yourself, not just so you stop walking around feeling angry, but there is a purpose. God wants then to use you to go to the other angry people in the world and extend the same grace he has given to you to them as well. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. The only way we can do that is if we receive what God has given us first. And so I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to encourage you, if you're at home, just close your eyes. Just take a deep breath. Yeshua, God saves. Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the God who saves. And we pray that you would save us. Save us. First of all, save us by protecting us from from being the kind of people that get angry over things that that are not truly injustices like we think they are. Our world is full of those things. And it's the thing that sells right now is a message that we're hearing in every place from every voice that seeks to influence our hearts. This is an injustice, and this is an injustice, and this is an injustice. Lord God, In so many ways, we have become a culture of people just like we are when we're behind a slow driver on the freeway, angry at something that in the grand scheme of things may not actually be the thing we think it is. Protect us. Save us. Help us to be slow to anger, reminding ourselves of what you yourself, Jesus, taught, that that, that murder and anger are the same thing because when we, when we are angry and we don't seek out forgiveness, it's as if we've murdered the relationships between us and others and between us and you. And so save our hearts from that. But also, God, when our anger is rooted in something that truly is evil and there is so many examples of that in our world as well, we pray that you would save us. Save us from those around us. Save us from the injustices of this world and save us with your presence and with your power and with your justice all while giving us the peace of knowing that when we are angry for the right reasons we are not alone. You are with us. You go before us. You are fighting our battles. And Lord Jesus, when... When I am the one who's guilty of committing injustice, when we are the ones who are guilty, we thank you that you came down 2,000 years ago to take upon yourself every reason that we could ever be angry every source of every pain that we ever have and we ever will experience. You took every single thing, all of it, upon your own flesh when you died so that when you rose from the grave three days later, we too might rise with you and be reminded that you are with us, that you forgive us. And because we have been forgiven by you, we can extend that same forgiveness to those around us And so we pray that we would do so, starting now, in Jesus' name, amen.